It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's a Thursday PFT PM, second one of the week and last one of the week, because tomorrow at this time, I will be recovering from a colonoscopy. Too much information! Colonoscopy number four. Eight years since my first one. It's important that you have them. If you have risk factors or if you are, I think 50 is the guideline. There was some talk at some point about dialing it back, making it earlier. It's really not that big of a deal. I know there are risks to having it. There's risks from the anesthesia. If you don't prep your bowel properly, there are risks. You got to prep properly. And the prep's gotten easier. They use different preps based upon where you are. My sister had one just the other day. We almost had our colonoscopies on the same day in different states, which would have been a strange and bizarre coincidence. That's for damn sure. She was using a, I assume it's still a prescription product, Go Lightly or Half Lightly. They've gone from Go Lightly to Half Lightly. I don't care what kind of fancy, innocuous terms you try to use. It's still a product that makes you completely empty all of the contents of your digestive system within a matter of hours. The last time I did it, it was a combination of Dulcolax, small tablets, and Miralax, which gets mixed with Gatorade, which really isn't that bad. The first time I ever did it, it was this nasty half gallon of syrupy crap that you had to drink every eight or nine minutes. It was some obscure number. And then you just wait. And you wait like Peter Brady waiting for his volcano and eventually the volcano arrives this time around they made some changes to the prep process which caused me some stress I'm sure you really love hearing all of this but I'm going to tell you anyway they made some changes they're always refining it it's been four years since my last one now they want you to split the prep and as I did the math regarding the splitting of the prep I realized that I would be in my TV studio at my house while Peter Brady's volcano number two literally was ready to go. And it's a long walk, or should I say a long run, from my TV studio to the closest toilet. My TV studio is above my garage. And what you do to get there, you go out a door into the garage and then you go to the other end of the garage, the far end of the garage, to go up the stairs to the area above the garage, and then you go all the way back where you came from to where the studio is. And it's a fairly large garage. So from the moment I would have had a chance to remove myself from the TV apparatus. They have basically the matrix plug that goes into your ear so you can hear what's going on in Connecticut. All the way across the garage, down the stairs, back across the garage, through the door, into the house, and into one of the nearest guest bedrooms where there is an appropriate facility for handling the byproducts of the preparation process. So they always call you before the procedure to go over all sorts of things and ask you questions and dot their I's and cross their T's. And I said to the nurse, beyond the fact that I've got a two-hour drive, because my doctor who does this is in Pittsburgh, and it's an intensely personal decision, right? I mean, I don't want just anyone sticking a giant hose up my ass. I at least want to have some degree of relationship and comfort and Hey, Doc, how are you? Nice to see you again. All right, go ahead. You can stick the giant hose up my ass now. But beyond the two-hour drive, which could or could not have been in the window of Peter Brady's Volcano version number two, second round, whatever you want to call it. I'm trying to keep number two out of there, but it's impossible. I got the hours that I'm going to be on the air. And I got Big Cat tomorrow, who's going to have no sympathy whatsoever. None. He's going to think it's funny. I can't wait until he has to go through the basic requirements of aging and remembers that he had no sympathy for anyone else when they went through it. So uh, the idea that I was going to have to run offset after every break 
that that wasn't a pleasant thing. So I've worked it out. We've negotiated a way that I can do all this and and everything will be good to go. I'm gonna I and, and you know they said you can go ahead and do it all tonight. What I've decided to do, and I've kind of gone rogue on this, I've pushed everything back two hours. You're supposed to take the first Dulcolax pills at noon. I pushed it to two. You're supposed to start drinking the stuff at six. I'm pushing it to eight. And then I'm just gonna drink all of the stuff and and hopefully confine it to one Peter Brady volcano, not two. So I should be good to go in the morning. Based upon past history, it it usually clears out everything. There's a point where, and this is as graphic as I care to be, if you've ever had this done, you'll agree with me, there is a point where the sensation is akin to, you know when you're a kid and you got a hose, but you don't have the apparatus on the end where you can spray so you try to make it with your thumb and if you do it just right it's a very violent spray when you cover the the hole with your thumb that that resulting spray where you just you're very satisfied because it's it's just got that spray component to it but it's coming out really strong that's the that's the moment when it's all working so that's what I got going for me tonight Hopefully, the Dulcolax doesn't kick in before I finish the podcast. Thankfully, it's a slow time, and I can spend 10 minutes talking about my colonoscopy prep. But let me tell you something. First of all, I'd like to strip away the mystery. And each of you out there who are listening to this, whether you like it or don't like it, whether you believe what we say, whether you don't believe, whether you think I'm a hack, whether you think I know what I'm talking about, because I know plenty of people listen to people they don't like because they like getting riled up. Regardless, let's set all that aside. And let me just tell you, don't screw around with your health. Don't. It's very easy to get yourself into this mindset that I'm fine and I'm always going to be fine. And I'd rather not know. If I don't know, then it's not real. So I won't go get checked because as long as I don't go get checked, then it's not real and I'm not sick. I can't be sick if I don't get diagnosed with anything. So I just won't get diagnosed that that's a horrible horrible attitude you know in your heart it's a horrible attitude at some point in your life part of the overall maturing process you embrace the fact that there are times where you have to go to a doctor there are times if you're having certain symptoms you have to go i talked a week or two ago about my little three-day melanoma scare and that happened because i had something on my face that's going to get frozen off on monday that i went to get checked Go get checked if you have something that you believe could be an issue and have a very low bar for that. It's okay to be closer to hypochondriac than the alternative because the alternative gets you dead, potentially. When you turn 40, hey, once a year, you got to have a finger up your ass. It's not pleasant. I go from mine mid to late July. The other day I was thinking about that. Oh, God. I got to have that finger up the ass again. But usually it's over before you even realize it's begun. And then you get another year of no finger up your, unless you, I mean, look, I'm not going to be judgmental. (laughs) That could go a lot of different ways. Bottom line is most men don't want to have a finger up their ass. And When you hit the age of 40, it's no longer your choice. You need to do it because you need to stay alive for your family. You need to stay healthy for your family. You need to continue to earn money for your family. You need to be around for your family. And it's that simple. Colonoscopy, same deal. Colonoscopy, obviously more invasive, but you're out for all of it. Here's what's going to happen tomorrow. I will show up at UPMC where I get this done. I think I have to be there at 1.15 p.m. Please don't hang out at the GI lab and try to, you know, give me any support. I'll be fine. And they'll, they'll take me in and they, they, they put like a, the IV line somewhere in your hand, or I don't know if they do it in your arm or in your hand or what, but they, they get you ready uh, for where they put in the medication. They get you all ready to go and you put on the, you put on the, 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 the gown with the, the hole in the back. And of course you, I think they have you, I think they have you take off everything under that gown and it's just, you know it's kind of impersonal when you sit there and my wife will be there and she'll be on her phone and I'll be on my phone and we'll just try to get through the hour and we'll talk a little bit but it's just a weird place to, to interact you don't want real life to creep into that space 
because it's this strange antiseptic space. But she'll be there with me the whole time until they wheel me in. Because you have to have somebody drive you home after you've been on the anesthesia, 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 whatever, anesthesia. And they wheel you in eventually. Like you show up at 1.15 and you wait a little bit and then they take you. It's like an hour and a half later they actually start the thing. And, yeah, they, they put you on your side. There's a pose. There's a colonoscopy pose. Like you go to your you know, on your left side and you kind of scissor your legs a little bit. And once they start cranking that, whatever that propofol, fentanyl, whatever the hell that stuff is, once they start that, it's over. It's done. And I can remember, I've had three colonoscopies and two endoscopies where they go down the front side. They don't use the same tube the same day. At least, I hope they don't. But I can remember... And I know this will happen tomorrow. I will be there and I will be consciously aware that in an instant, this is going to be over. And, you know, it's very comfortable on a bed. And it's, you know, I, you are just consciously aware, you know, this is going to be over and I know it's going to be over and it's just, okay, when's it going to be over? When's it going to be, hey, it's over. And that's it. And it takes like 20 minutes, but you're in, they call it twilight shit. I, twilight, that's a hell of a twilight. I should I should sleep in that twilight every night. And like the second time I did it, I remember feeling a little nauseous after. But the last time I did it, I, I, I was fine. And the last time I had an endoscopy, I could have driven home. I was perfectly fine. I am going to be hungry as hell. We're going to have to take some snacks or something because you can't eat anything today before I've been drinking Gatorade all day. So you know what? You get checked you hopefully find out that everything's fine and ultimately you uh you know you maybe lose a few pounds and then you can have a good weekend of eating pizza and sausage and replenishing your your digestive system all right enough of that <sighs> what's going on in the nfl today how about new jersey taking more bets via their sports books than nevada first time ever million in bets in May for New Jersey. 317.4 million in bets for the month of May in Nevada. Now, Nevada doesn't have to worry about New Jersey. What Nevada eventually has to worry about is California and the other states that surround Nevada because Nevada becomes no longer a destination once those states have what you can get in Nevada. And if you can go to a sports book in California, there's no reason to go to Las Vegas, Arizona. What other states are around Nevada? Good God, thank I'm glad I don't have to ever go on Jeopardy. I, I've been watching more and more Jeopardy ever since that James Holzhauer was on there. It's amazing how much shit I don't know. But geography is bad. Like, I, I could start guessing the states that are around Nevada, or I could just Google it. But any of the neighboring states, quick trip over, that's when they're going to start losing money. And more and more states will be legalizing sports wagering. It's free money. It's free money. And if you align with a sports book that knows what it's doing, the house is always eventually going to win. I like the story that we posted today on Alvin Kamara, the pre-draft meeting. Did you see that one? He had a video that he did with Alvin, not Alvin Kamara, but with Andrew Hawkins. And... Kamara said that before meeting with a team prior to the draft, someone from that team said, you're going to be meeting with a general manager. He's not real big on the nose rings and stuff. Can you take it out? And he said, no, basically don't draft me. If it's a problem, don't draft me. I like that attitude. There's this warped mentality that it's an honor to be considered. It's an honor to be drafted. It's an honor to be this. It's an honor to be told where you're going to live and have no say in it whatsoever. It's an honor. It's not an honor. It's not an honor. And if these people who are deciding who they're going to draft and not draft are going to put these demands on you, I love it when somebody pushes back. I love it when a player says, no, 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 don't draft me. If you don't like it, don't draft me. You want me to do a private workout? I don't want to do a private workout. If you don't like it, don't draft me. Oh, you'd like me to do receiver drills instead of quarterback drills or in addition to them? I'm not doing it. If you don't like it, don't draft me. Now, the problem is there's only a select subset of the candidates each year that 
that can do that and not have it blow up in their faces. Because if you're a low-round prospect, and there are other guys who are roughly as good as you are, and you don't play the game, they're going to draft the guy who does play the game. See, they're, they're trying to identify who's going to be trouble. And they want guys to be robots. They don't want free thinkers. They don't want guys who are influencing the locker room in a way that would undermine the authority of the coach. Football is like that. And I don't think you get that far in football to the point where you're on the brink of the NFL if you haven't at some point submitted to the authority of the coach. But some guys are good enough that they don't, they don't have to. And anytime those guys are in position to push back, I love it when they do. I love it. And I'd like to see it more often. The story of Deion Sanders from 30 years ago when the Giants gave him this huge binder of questions to answer. He said, when do you guys pick? I'm not going to be on the board when you pick, so I ain't doing this. Good. Even if he thought they were going to be in range to draft him, he should have said, I ain't doing it. If you don't like it, don't draft me. Don't draft me and wait for one of your competitors to draft me. That's the leverage these players have. But see, here's the problem. If you do it to enough teams, then I don't know if you get blackballed per se, but you do slide. I'd love to know if the team that that was considering Camara. I guess in theory, there's a chance it was Mickey Loomis and the Saints drafted him anyway. But I doubt that's the case. I got the impression it was a different team. I just wonder if that team was picking higher than the Saints. He was number 67 round three. Were they picking higher? Would they have picked Kamara higher? Would he have made more money? Did he lose some money by keeping his principal? Now, I know that there are some non-talent issues that will get in the way of whether or not you draft a guy, character issues. But this kind of stuff, how long your hair is, whether you have a nose ring, whether you have tattoos. Remember Jerry Richardson, the former Panthers owner? He was on with, like, I think it was Charlie Rose or something. When they were evaluating Cam Newton, it was very important to Jerry Richardson and Cam Newton have no tattoos. Like, who cares about that stuff? All that matters is, can the guy play? And at a certain level, yes. Can you count on him? Is he going to follow the rules? The, ba- the important rules. Not the stupid rules. The important rules. Staying out of trouble. When you're on the road, you don't have to worry about him getting involved in stuff away from the hotel. Comply with what the team wants. The legitimate things that the team wants. That's what's important. The other stuff doesn't matter. When it comes to Tyree Kill's situation with the NFL, and I made this point earlier today in a post, but I want to emphasize it here where I have a little more space to talk about it. And sometimes it's easier to talk than write about these things. Tyree Kill is caught in the gears of the NFL investigative machinery. And the NFL is going to do whatever it wants to do. We don't know what the NFL wants to do, but it's going to do what it wants to do. Not what it thinks it should do based upon a fair and objective and careful assessment of the evidence just what it wants to do because it has that power to do whatever it wants to do and the NFL is far more influenced by PR than the NFL is influenced by what's right and what's wrong and what's just and what complies and comports with precedent past precedent Ezekiel Elliott should be paying very close attention to what the NFL does with Tyreek Hill because he got railroaded two years ago I've said that consistently And I understand that domestic violence is a serious problem. And I understand that if Ezekiel Elliott engaged in domestic violence, he should have been arrested. He should have been charged. He should have been suspended. But I don't believe the NFL did a proper investigation. And I don't believe the NFL gave him a fair opportunity to prove his innocence, if he was indeed innocent. Remember, there was one of the investigators who said he shouldn't be suspended and she got frozen out of the process. Remember that? See, they froze out of the process because they wanted to suspend him. So if you have a key dissenting voice, who is someone who has been involved in interviewing the alleged victim makes it delicate to proceed with the suspension. If, if that person's voice is factored in, to what the NFL is considering. 
So the bottom line is the NFL is going to do what it wants to do. And PR will be far more relevant than justice. Because this is all about PR. This is all a show. The NFL has to act like it gives a crap about this kind of stuff. Now, at some level, it does, I think. But this isn't about setting up an in-house justice system where there is a careful, fastidious, deliberate, contemplative approach. This is about, case by case, what do we think the right balance is from a PR perspective. And also, there's politics involved. Because you are hurting one team by taking away a key player. You're potentially helping other teams indirectly. That's part of what has to be balanced. How much juice does Clark Hunt have? What does Clark Hunt want? Can he be mollified by this? Is he okay with the decision? Is he on board? Does he believe it's the right thing to do? Look at the mess Roger Goodell got into two years ago when he was defying Jerry Jones. Jones went after Goodell. Tried to block his contract extension. Wanted to replace Goodell. Got Papa John involved. Ultimately, Jones lost, but... I assume that Goodell would prefer not to do that again, not to have to worry about that stuff. Now his contract is set, but you just don't want Clark Hunt to be motivated to come after you the way that Jerry Jones was motivated to come after Goodell. So that's part of it too. Politics and PR. I always say PR, I need to add politics. Politics internally and PR. PR is more of the external politics. How does it look? What will people say? What will people like me say? What will ESPN analysts say? What will they say in the New York Times? What will they say in the Washington Post? What will they say here? What will they say there? How will they treat this? Will we be criticized for going too hard on him? Will we be criticized for not going hard enough? And here's the problem. And this is the one factor. And I know, Chiefs fans, you want to pretend this never happened. The fact that Tyreek Hill admitted to choking and beating Crystal Espinal is the thing that makes him completely unsympathetic and makes it, if anything, more likely that the NFL will throw the book at him. Remember all the heat that Roger Goodell took in 2014 when he initially suspended Ray Rice for only two games? And that was before we saw the video of the knockout punch. Not that we're going to see a video here, but even before that video came out, Roger Goodell was in Canton, Ohio. This was all happening in and around the Hall of Fame weekend ceremonies and festivities he was surrounded by reporters they had microphones stuck in his face trying to ask him about why ray rice only got two games because we saw the video of his then fiance's body halfway out of the elevator that was bad enough and we knew what happened in the elevator i i said at the time and i still believe today the reason they weren't more aggressive to find the video of what happened in the elevator is they knew. They knew what happened in the elevator. They didn't need to see it. They knew. But once everybody else could see it, they thought, oh boy, we better take this more seriously than we've taken it, even though we knew. With Tyree Kill, we know what happened back in 2014, and we know what he said, because his lawyers conceded that's his voice on that tape. You need to be terrified of me too. The threat if it is regarded as a threat, and I think it fairly can be and should be regarded as a threat that was contained in that audio recording. Number two, whether and to what extent there was discipline of a three-year-old boy that crossed the line, a la the Adrian Peterson case of 2014. Number three, whether and to what extent Hill is responsible under the personal conduct policy for creating an atmosphere in his household, the household he shares with Crystal Espinal, that resulted in that boy being removed by the state. I see those three grounds for potential discipline, those would be three distinct violations. Now, at least two distinct violations, because you could squeeze together the removal of the child from the home with discipline that goes too far. So you could put those two together into one. But in my mind, the way I look at the personal conduct policy, it's three, because there's three different bullet points that are at play here. But it's definitely at least two different violations. Because his interactions with Crystal Espinal should be treated as different from his interactions with his son. And you stack them. X number of games for making threats against Crystal Espinal and X number of games for whatever he did that ultimately is deemed to have violated the personal conduct policy as to his three-year-old son. Aggravating circumstance, what happened in 2014. PR is going to favor going harder than going softer. I... Look... I don't know that Roger Goodell has decided what he wants to do here. 
And it may be that yesterday's eight-hour interview really does become some sort of a factor. Usually, though, we've seen what happens. There's a predetermined outcome, and they work backward to justify it. We saw it with Deflategate. We saw it with Bountygate. We saw it with Ezekiel Elliott. You know what you want to do, and you do the investigation in a way that allows you to do what you want to do, and it looks like you've done the right thing. That's the way the game gets played. And there's no reason to think they're suddenly going to deviate from that here. They're going to have an idea in mind of how long they want to suspend Tyreek Hill. And they're going to be thinking about all the angles. We suspended Kareem Hunt eight games for a video of him pushing and kicking at a woman. And really, in comparison to the video of the Ray Rice incident, it's tame. It's bad. A suspension was justified. But it's not the Ray Rice thing. Now, Ray Rice paid for it with his career, ultimately. But eight games for Kareem Hunt, what is it going to be for Tyreek Hill? It's going to be whatever they want it to be, and he's not going to have any meaningful recourse beyond that. He'll have appeal rights. The appeal goes back to the commissioner or his designee. See, the problem is, once you have made that decision... If you reduce it on appeal, you look wishy-washy. Why would you? Why would you ever reduce it? You look like you don't know what you were doing the first time around. You didn't have enough information. You can't stick to your decision, whatever the case may be. So, in the court system, forget it. Tom Brady, Ezekiel Elliott, those two cases proved the NFLPA has no power to do anything about this. The NFL has all the power. And they're just going to make more bad precedent. They're going to bake in the bad precedent, especially as more and more conservative judges end up being appointed to the federal bench. That's not a political statement. That's a political reality. More federal judges that have a Republican mindset, conservative mindset, are going to be more likely to generate pro-business rulings, such as the NFL has all the power in this relationship with its union. Because that ruling is transferable to other cases where unions and companies fight. Those concepts. So, for all those reasons, he's at the mercy of the NFL. He's at the mercy of Roger Goodell. And for that eight hours yesterday, I always like, you know, I've stopped saying, oh, to be a fly on the wall because I wouldn't want to be a fly. I, I, I've seen what they eat. I see it every day when I take the little scooper thing out to my backyard. But I'd love to know, I'd love to see, I'd love to understand what the assessment of Tyree Kill's credibility was. Sims asked me earlier today if I would, if I were the one who was interviewing Tyree Kill, get into what happened in 2014, and I would for a couple of reasons. I'd want to see, does he still own it, or is he going to try to make excuses? I would want to know whether or not he's truly contrite. I would want to assess him as he talks about it. Does he become tearful? Is it real or is it fake? And I also would want to see whether or not I can push his buttons. If Mr. Hyde's in there, I want to try to draw him out. For a couple of reasons. First of all, I want to get an idea as to what Crystal Espinal and the three-year-old boy have to deal with from time to time. I want to see that. I want to look into those eyes and I want to see that anger. I want to see that frustration. I want to see that inability to control rage, if it is there. There are ways to push buttons to make it happen. Ultimately, you want to gauge whether or not the guy's telling the truth. And if you think he's not telling the truth, you're more likely to whack him. You're more likely to suspend him a significant amount. And it's a very visceral thing, and it's shaped by experience. Good lawyers know how to ask the questions in a way that draws out the demons and or allows you to assess is this person credible, believable? Do I have a feeling that I am not getting a line of crap here? And look, plenty of people lie. There are plenty of people who are very, very persuasive and compelling witnesses, and they are lying their asses off. And there also are, God bless them, plenty of people who are trying their damnedest to tell the truth, but they're so freaked out by the anxiety the moment it comes off as they're being untruthful. Part of having experience in interrogating people, you figure out, when you're dealing with a snake oil salesman, when you're dealing with somebody who is just anxious, they're, they're not sweating because they're lying or because they had spicy chicken for lunch because George likes spicy chicken. They're sweating because they have anxiety. 
they're telling the truth, but they're just nervous about it. They're just nervous in that setting. So it's not an easy job to do. The more you do it, the better you get. Lisa Friel's an experienced lawyer, although there have been some criticisms of, of her work. It could be that you know, she knows what, what uh, kind of sausage Roger Goodell wants to, wants to feast on, and she's got to make it. And sometimes the ingredients don't fit the recipe. And, you know, I don't know how much of that she's dealing with here, but based on past history, I think Roger Goodell already knows what he wants to do, and it's a matter of making the evidence fit the outcome. All right. Uh, I think that's everything significant that's going on. Obviously, it's the slow time now. We finished the Chris Sims quarterback rankings. I was a little surprised that Aaron Rodgers ended up number one over Patrick Mahomes. I'd put Patrick Mahomes at number one right now. And unless and until we see somebody figure out how to slow down Patrick Mahomes, because here's the thing, you know, the, the knee jerk reaction after a guy has a great year at quarterback is to say defensive coordinators will have seven months to obsess over how they can slow him down. And one of the popular views is that you throw guys deep into coverage, you force Patrick Mahomes to be patient and uh, that, that may frustrate him and he'll eventually throw the ball where he shouldn't and make some mistakes and he'll unravel that way. But then we watched one after another, the top 10 throws from Patrick Mahomes last year. It's so effortless. And when he starts running to the right, and, and he throws the ball, it, ha- it comes out so fast. It's such, a, it's such a quick and easy motion. You know, when you're in the pocket and, and you cock your arm before you throw it, you know, like, like pulling back a slingshot, um, it gives people a chance to say, oh, here it comes, here it comes. You know, balls out, balls out, balls out. With, with Mahomes... It, it's just like he's in stride and he glides and the and he just he he flicks his wrist and it's gone. That's special. And I don't know that having seven months or seven years to study him is going to make it any easier to slow him down when you've got to figure out uh, how to stop this guy. So I think he's number one right now, and I I think he's going to continue to be number one. And uh, I'm curious to see where a guy like Kyler Murray is next year on that list, where a guy like Baker Mayfield is next year on that list, and uh, where Chris puts Aaron Rodgers on that list next year. I think number one was very, very charitable. I don't think he did it on purpose. Again, it's not about trolling. It's not about clickbait. It's not about attention. It's what he believes. I disagree with his beliefs, but it's what he believes. I believe that the 4th of July is right around the corner. You can prepare your vehicle for the 4th of July road trip now by visiting your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. Simple preventive maintenance like changing your oil and your oil filter, topping off engine coolant, and checking belts and hoses can avoid costly repairs in the future and keep you on the road. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts have the parts you need at guaranteed low prices. Get your vehicle ready for 4th of July travel today. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day we're supposed to go to the beach here in about a week or so i don't i don't like going to i don't like leaving my house when it's the downtime when the show's off i like staying at my house i like sitting outside on my patio i like hanging out with my dog i like just being with my family i like cooking a steak at night drinking some wine maybe hamburgers one night maybe it is good i'm having that colonoscopy god knows what's lurking down there with all the red meat i've been eating but here's the thing i went a lot of years like avoiding red meat as much as I could. I figure, shit, I've lived this long, and I, I I lived clean during those years where, like, you know, the DNA changes are made and the free radicals and all that shit that gives you cancer. So I figure at this point, what the hell? I'll smoke a cigar, I'll have some wine, I'll, I'll eat a steak, and I prefer to be at home. So, But I may be going to the beach. But, uh, but anyway, I don't know why I even brought that up. Oh, yeah, because I'll be driving if I go, so I better go to the local O'Reilly Auto Parts store and make sure I got my... my uh, oil filter and my oil and my belts and all that stuff good to go it's a long trip you always worry about your car breaking now it's dangerous car breaks down on the side of the road you don't want that you don't want that i i oh god i mean it's just scary you get over as far as you can and still all it takes is one one person who isn't paying attention and and that's that all right on that happy note some some questions to answer 
PFTP and Posse, which of the upcoming long weekends is most likely to be used for a Friday afternoon bad news dump by the NFL to dump the Cheetah investigation, that's Tyreek Hill, results and punishment? Well, we've got next Wednesday, which is July the 3rd. We've got next Friday, July the 5th. Those are a couple of windows for some bad news dump. I don't know that they're ready to turn it around that quickly on Tyreek Hill, but maybe they will be. Then the next option will be the 12th. After that, it's the 19th. they got to do something before then. They don't have to. They can do whatever they want. But if they want to have a decision on the books before training camp opens, because I look at it this way. If they're going to put him out for the full year, there's no reason for him to come to training camp or the preseason. They, they could banish him, right? They could make a strong statement here and banish him, and he applies for reinstatement after one year. They could do that. Or they could just give him a straight one-year suspension. They can do whatever they want to do. There's enough play in the joints of the personal conduct policy. And there are enough potential independent violations here and aggravating circumstances that they can stack this together and do whatever they want to do. But yes, next Wednesday, next Friday, the next two Fridays after that, you know, and, and they're so sensitive to being accused of the Friday afternoon bad news dump. And it's, it's smart, but they're so sensitive to it. Sometimes they do it on Thursday instead. PFTP and Posse, how did your second round of skeet shooting and clay pigeons go? Let me tell you something. I don't know that I'm ever going to go back. We went yesterday. My brother-in-law's birthday is today. He's three weeks younger than me, so he gives me grief during the three weeks where I'm older than him. Well, we've caught up today, so suck on that. But yesterday we went to shoot. The stations are varied. There are eight of them all together. The clays come out from every direction. And if I get at least 10 out of 25, I feel okay. If I get 12 or 13, I feel pretty good. I've probably gotten 14 or 15 at least once. I'd love to get 20. But, you know, it's it looks so easy and yet looks so hard at the same time. And you have to get yourself into this zone where you're tracking the motion of the clay. But if you get into that zone, you can hit a lot of them. And it is satisfying when you, when you really make good solid contact with the bulk of those BBs that are coming out of the shotgun and it powders. I've seen, I've seen the clay turn into powder when it's just a square hit with the bulk of the BB. Sometimes you just clip it with one because it's, it's fragile. It doesn't take much. All it takes is that one BB going by to disrupt its, its flight. But, uh, but anyway, um, I, I, I keep, I keep telling myself that, uh, you know, I can will myself to get better. If I would just go more often, I'll get better. I'll get better. And maybe there's a chance I can be decent. And then my 11-year-old nephew goes yesterday. She, he's never fired a shotgun before in his life. And he did two rounds. And in the second round, he hit 15 out of 25. But he was in that, there's, there's an innocence you have to bring to it. That's the psychology. It's just kind of like, there it is, shoot it, bang. Oh, there it is, shoot it, bang. And if you think about it too much, you got no chance. There just has to be that very loose, and he's holding the gun down when he says pull. And, and he had one time where he didn't remember, I was like, what do I say? Do I say go? No, it's pull. It's like a little smart ass, and he's still at 15 out of 25. And his brother, who's going to turn 15 on Sunday... He was pretty damn good, too, and I don't think he'd ever done it before, at least not with a, a 20-gauge shotgun. They both use 20s. They got 20s and 12s out there. The 12 gives you a heck of a kick, although I, you know, my shoulder feels okay. It feels all right. I'm, I'm more concerned about the colonoscopy prep. I'm not, real, I'm not real aware of the fact that my shoulder is a little bit sore. So anyway, that's how that went. Thank you for asking. Uh... <laughs> PFTPM bossy. Did you get a decent raise when PFT Live started broadcasting in the UK and Ireland on Sky Sports? What about the simulcast since they're airing it two plus hours every extra day? You think I'm going to talk about money? I ain't talking about money. I'm never talking about money. I will never, ever, ever. It is uncouth to talk about money. I have no complaints about my financial situation with NBC. Let's just leave it at that. PFTPM Posse, don't forget all about the great ideas for content that comes from PFTPM or the practice you get or the great open talk sessions with guests or the wonderful memories you get to recall and tell us and so much more. Trying to talk me into not quitting this. I'm thinking about quitting it. And I'm not just doing that as shtick. I'm being very open and transparent. I'm thinking about quitting it. I'm going to, I'm going to really assess this during the next four weeks. Per Valley Man 12 with the NFL and the NFLP entertainment. Let me try that again. 
would the NFL and the NFLPA entertain a situation where there are 17 regular season games with an extra buy and two preseason games? Surely one extra regular season game would make up for two fewer preseason games. I don't know. Because the NFL seems to be hell-bent on 20. It was 14-6. and six. For 40 years, it's been 16-4. and four. They'd like to go 18-2. and two. Would they trade that off for 17-2 and two in another bye week? I don't know. I don't know. But the NFLPA has done a great job, in my opinion, of convincing the NFL that the NFLPA just isn't interested in more games, period. And that means it's going to take a lot to get them, to get the union, to get the players to change their mind. At the C.J. Newman, who has the best-looking jersey in the NFL to you? The best-looking jersey in the National Football League. It's a good question. You know when you say that's a good question? When you really don't have an answer off the top of your head. The best-looking jersey. I like the Steelers jersey, not the current one. I like the one that they wear as the throwback with the block numbers. I am very, very old school when it comes to the numbers on a jersey. I don't like... The fancy schmancy rollerball numbers. I remember when Keith Oberman called the Philadelphia Eagles jerseys in the mid-90s rollerball. Don't be futuristic just for the sake of being futuristic. I like the Chargers powder blues. I like the classic looks. I like the Cowboys blue jersey. That really dark blue that they don't choose to wear very often. There's a mystique about that. It takes me back to the 70s when teams in their division started to mess with them and make them wear blue on the road. It's like, hey, you're going to wear white at home? Fine. You ain't wearing white on the road. We know you prefer to wear white. No, screw you. Wear blue. I like that. You know, I didn't like the new Jets uniforms at first, but the more I see them, the more I like them. I don't have a... There's not one that really stands out to me as like, this is just awesome. This is great. Obviously, that, that horrible blue Rams jersey that they still wear with the gold trim up against the helmets that have the white horns. What... What what are they th- what were they thinking? They move from St. Louis to LA and the only change they make to their uniform is they put white horns on the helmet. What 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 is that? Because they don't want to unveil the new uniforms until they go into the new stadium. Who cares? So last year they managed to avoid ever having to wear the that combination with the ugly ass blue jersey. They never had to do it because they never had to wear blue on the road. Or when they would be in a position, I think, where maybe they would have had to wear blue on the road, they did the throwback uniform. I think they didn't have to play at Dallas last year because I think at Dallas, that was the last time I believe that we saw that combination. And let's see, let's see. Do they play at Cowboys this year? Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. They do play at Cowboys December 15. That may be the last time we ever see the ugly-ass blue jersey with the gold trim that does not go with the what just peel off the if you ever have to wear that again just peel off the white horns and put the gold horns back on all right that's a very high level stuff there um at the real forno do you believe chris sims has too much of an aaron Rodgers bias i don't know that it's a bias he just it's i don't bias means that that like it's his cousin or his friend and he's he's rating him where he is for reasons other than an assessment of his skills and abilities I think Sims just has an incorrect assessment of his skills and abilities. I do. Because I look at the whole quarterback. And the fact that the guy's a great passer, okay, that's fine. But at some level, I put responsibility on him for the team struggling. Not living up to its potential. I was trying to articulate this today, and we didn't have a whole lot of time for me to explain it the way I wanted to. And I think I got the point across. You know, with all the flaws they've had in that organization... Defensive issues, no running game, not a creative offense, no aggressive pursuit of free agents until recently. If someone like Peyton Manning had been the quarterback there, he finds a way behind the scenes to get what he wants. And I just don't know that Aaron Rodgers is wired to do that. Remember that Tyler Dunn Bleacher Report item that said how he avoids confrontation? He doesn't like confrontation. He's not wired to engage in confrontation. He's wired to engage in passive-aggressive commentary. That's not going to get you anywhere, though. You need to have somebody who can go in and say, we need to have a talk. Can you sit down, please? I'll sit down, and I'll tell you what I think. Here's what I think. Here's what we need to do if we want to be as good as we can be. And that's all I want. 
I want to have the best career I can have. I want to have the best legacy I can have. I want to win as many Super Bowls as I possibly can. And here's what I think we need to do to get there. And I've been playing a long time now. And I think that, that you know, whether you defer to my thoughts here, that's your call. But I'm doing a disservice to myself and this team if I don't take advantage of this opportunity to tell you what I think. There's a way to do that. One of the points I made today, because they don't have an owner in Green Bay, who, who do you really go to to effect meaningful and immediate change? Now it's Mark Murphy. I guess Mark Murphy's more involved in football, though he's putting his own ass on the line by doing that. But bottom line, I don't think Rodgers should be number one. He's one of the all-time greats. He shouldn't be number one. All right, what do we have? Mike likes dirt. Why is everybody concerned about money all of a sudden? What's the biggest source of revenue for PFT? TV ads, the website, or does NBC cut the check based on their revenue from all aggregated ads across digital and TV? I just said I'm not going to talk about money, but I'll give you an idea of of how this all works. Because the 10-year anniversary of the PFT-NBC arrangement is coming on Monday. 10 years as of Monday, we jumped onto the NBC servers. Here's how it works. They don't own any equity in ProFootballTalk.com. I've heard it time and again over the last 10 years. NBC bought PFT. No, NBC didn't. NBC did not. NBC, I guess, in theory, could at some point. But it's never even come up. They've never made an offer. We never even discussed it from the get-go. There was never a conversation about buying the website. The conversation was about licensing the content. Exclusive license of content. So... Everything we do, everything we write, everything that we are about from the standpoint of the web content, that lands on the NBC platform. The traffic rolls up to NBC. And they've used our website and the traffic that we have as a way to distribute traffic to other NBC sports blogs. And I knew going in they were going to do that. And there are people who think that I've got some financial interest in the other NBC sports blogs, baseball, basketball, etc. Now, we used to own the College Football Talk website, but during one of our deals with NBC, we just handed that to them and said, you guys do what you want with it. We don't, we don't need it. We never really developed it, and they wanted it, and you can have it. We just want to focus on what we do well. And, or not so well, depending upon who you ask. But that's how it works. It's a very simple arrangement. They license our content, and we get compensated by them, and there's been different models over the years for how that works, but uh, I'm happy with it. They're happy with it. I've always told Rick Cordella, who was the person responsible for bringing us into the NBC arena, I want NBC to be happy with the deal. I want NBC to make money off of this. I never want to be a burden. I never want it to be a problem. I want everybody to be happy. I want it to be a win-win. And look, we've, we've been doing it 10 years, and we have a contract that extends several more years into the future, and who knows what will happen after that. But I, 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 didn't, I just didn't know when we did it. I, it's, well, how long will this last? I don't know. I'm just doing it, man. I'm living my life. I'm, I'm escaping the practice of law, the stress, the strain, the worry, the nonstop. No, I mean, what I do now is still nonstop, but it's not like that. It's not like that. I don't wake up in the middle of the night with ideas of, of uh, an argument I can make or a tactic I can use to help my client win a case. I don't do that. I don't carry it around with me everywhere, 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 all the time especially as you're getting ready for a trial in those two weeks before. The thing about trying a case, let's say it takes a week to do the case. You are completely consumed with it for at least one week before, if not more. Depending upon how many witnesses and how many documents and what the tapestry of evidence is that you have to put together, it may be more than that, especially if you're doing it alone. One to two weeks, minimum. And, and then afterward, you, you, you've, you know, it's like you took a three-week vacation because all your other cases got neglected, and then you got to jump back into those. It's, um, I don't miss it. I don't miss it. And I just remember that day, July 1, and I still had like a case or two that I had to finish up that I wanted to finish up that I carried with me, and it was really like six months before it was completely done, and I shut everything down. But, uh, um, yeah, that was a happy day. And I, like I said, I didn't know how long it was going to last. And today, to this day, I don't know how long it's going to last. I just enjoy it every day. And, uh, you know, everything that's grown out of it, it's been great. So hopefully they're happy. I, I assume they are. 
I know I am, and uh, we go from there. Mike likes start. Have you considered moving PFTPM to Stitcher Premium if you're feeling you're not getting enough out of the pod? If it's possible, you get more revenue by adding scarcity that way. If that's a goal, I'm, I, 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 don't, I don't know what Stitcher Premium is, but I guess I'll look into it if I think of it. PFT Sponge, will you be calling for questions to answer from the toilet like when you're waiting for the plane to take off? No, I won't. I will not be answering Twitter questions while the uh, while the colonoscopy prep is underway. And PFT Sponge was listening to the program today because I had some angst this morning on PFT Live because I didn't know how I was going to pull off the show tomorrow morning because I thought it was going to be Peter Volcano, Peter Brady's Volcano Volume 2 tomorrow morning, but uh, fortunately not. PFT Sponge, one negative I see about allowing players to use PEDs is with the defenders being bigger and stronger and faster than ever, pumping them up even more just will add to the football is too violent conversation. Do you agree? Yeah, I'm not a proponent of letting players use PEDs. Sims likes the idea of a limited controlled exception for guys who are recovering from injuries, not just, hey, I want to get bigger, faster, and stronger. I just want to get back to my strength and speed and overall abilities that I had before the injury. I don't know that I buy into that. I just think that more people should be upset when players cheat and there should be less of a media, I don't want to say conspiracy because I don't think there's an active conspiracy. It's just complacency. Media complacency about what it means to have a positive PED test. You just kind of shrug, oh, positive PED test. But when, when Ben Watson, remember he picked the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend to slip out there the the four-game suspension he was facing that he knew about when he unretired. We just kind of shrug at it. Patrick Peterson, we just kind of shrug. Patrick Peterson got suspended six games because he took a masking agent to cover up the PED that he had taken. So he knew what he was doing. The masking agent failed to cover up the PED, and it failed to cover up itself, and he got popped for six games. And nobody cares. We just move on. We just move on. Just keeps rolling. And I think part of it is, made this point the other day, the NFL doesn't seem to care as much as it could or should, so why should the fans? Now, if the fans cared about it more, then maybe the NFL would. But the NFL has found that sweet spot where the PED stuff infects baseball. It doesn't infect the NFL. The perception, the image, the interest, etc. And I think at some level, we just assume that guys don't get that big. They don't stay that big. They don't get that strong. They don't stay that strong. They don't get that fast. They don't stay that fast without some sort of medical intervention. So right, wrong, or otherwise, that's just the way it is. As evidenced by Ben Watson's case, Patrick Peterson's case, and most recently this Julian Edelman thing where he's never been compelled, nudged, questioned, interrogated, anything to get to the bottom of what he took and why he took it. And did he know? See, he hasn't come out and said, I accidentally took a PED that was included in a supplement that I thought was okay. That's what most guys say. He just hadn't said anything. Which, to me, implies that he knew what he was doing. He played that game of PED Russian Roulette And he welcomed the possibility of missing four games to start the season to ensure that he would be available and good enough to play all games. And ultimately, he played 12, or at least was available for 12. I don't know if he missed one once he came back, but I know he didn't miss the Super Bowl, and he won the MVP award. And you know what? Plenty of guys out there would give up 25% of the regular season for a shot to be the Super Bowl MVP. That's for damn sure. You got... Ralphed. If Gurley can't be who he once was, but still plays a minor role on the team and they win a championship with him on the roster, does he make it to Canton? Oh, it's way too early to have the conversation about Canton for Todd Gurley. I know Terrell Davis eventually got in with a limited career. If Todd Gurley's not the guy that he was a couple of years ago, I don't think he ever sniffs Canton. Fittison came with several stories of Bill Belichick tearing into Tom Brady even after wins in front of the whole team. How many starting quarterbacks could deal with that and be successful? I don't know, because here's the thing. Brady was a prime candidate to be constantly beaten down that way because of how he entered the league. He came in as the 199th overall pick. And he's always had that chip on his shoulder, that fire, that edge, that extra something. And 
that makes it easier, I think, to coach him aggressively. Guys who come in as first-round picks, guys who come in as the first overall pick, I think it's harder to coach them aggressively. And I think that's part of it. Dean Osborne, 42. Which NFL-related person, past or present, that you have never interviewed would you most like to have done so? I'd I'd still like to sit down with Bill Belichick. I know it's never going to happen, but I'd like to do it. I'm trying to think of others. I guess Vince Lombardi. I'd be fascinated from a business standpoint with Pete Rozelle's vision when he knew that the NFL could be as big as it was and the major points along the way where he knew that this was working. I mean, was it just something where he engineered it or he just had a gut feeling and it just kind of went? Because he's the one who's had more to do with the current state of the NFL than I think anyone else from a commissioner standpoint. Dean Osborne, 42, can you try and get Roger Goodell on your show after your break to discuss the pass interference rule changes? Look, I, I, I haven't asked for Roger Goodell in a long time. I've interviewed him once on PFT Live, once on Dan Patrick's show, and once for our one and only print magazine from nine years ago. And I'm trying to choose my words carefully here. I just really don't want to interview him again. Because he really doesn't say anything. He doesn't say anything. He ain't dropping the guard. He's going to tell you what he wants to tell you. You're not going to ask him a, a, a trick question. Not that I would try to. But he's just not going to tell you anything. He's not Unless he wants to. Unless he comes to the interview with some announcement that he's going to use that interview as the vehicle for making. That's the only way you're getting anything out of him. You're not going to... And, and I remember when I interviewed him for that magazine, you know, I was asking all the questions that were, that were tied to the news of the day. And, you know, there's some challenges the NFL faces. And he gets, I think he gets a little uh, irked when people suggest there are challenges the NFL faces, but there are. And I think at one point he said something like, geez, you ask, you know, you, you ask all the, any, to ask me about anything good. Like, well, ask about the stuff I'm interested in. Cause I think that's what people are interested in. So I look, I, 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 uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of, uh, first of all, they're not going to give them to me. Second of all, I, uh, I don't know what I'd ask them about the pass interference rules. I, I, I guess I do know. I wouldn't even need to prep. I just, I'm trying to think, how do I ask it in a way that he says something that is useful? I, and I would, I would say to him, Roger, how concerned are you about this disconnect between what the competition, Competition committee seems to expect for replay review for pass interference and what Al Riveron seems to be intent on doing. But again, I just think it would be an answer that ultimately says nothing. And that's not a knock. That's just reality. When you establish a track record of saying things but saying nothing, eventually the people who would interview you just decide, why bother? Frank Chavawi, with California having the balls to stand up to the NCAA, do you think more states will follow the example or maybe a whole conference? If the SEC took the same stand, what do you think the outcome could be? Look, and this relates to California's decision to, despite threats from the NCAA, advance a bill that would allow college athletes to be compensated for their name, image, and likeness unrelated to getting paid by their schools for playing their sports. Apparently, Congress is in the early stages of a federal law that would allow players to do this. I I just think that the House needs to come down. I think it's starting to crumble, and the House needs to come down. The NCAA has gotten away with this corrupt system for decades. And I think the past decade has been all about squeezing as much milk as they can out of the udder before the cow runs away. But this is an easy first step. And I think the NCAA is concerned that if the first step happens, that's not going to be the end of it. Once you let players get a taste of making money, name, image, likeness, you're going to have the players want more. Especially when you're in the locker room and the star players are the ones making the money and the other guys, the offensive linemen... They aren't getting crap. Think about that. You got the quarterback, the running back, and the receiver all with these gigantic endorsement deals. 
You got the left tackle, right tackle, left guard, right guard, center not getting shit. That's a problem. And what's the solution? Beyond resenting the guys who are making the money. Or guys demanding that my teammates get a slice too. The solution is those players say, we want to be paid. How are we not getting any money at all? And these guys are all making money. That's a real problem. That's a real problem. Hadn't thought of it. I guess this is one of the benefits of doing PFTPM. Lane Man 24, which rookies are you looking forward to early on besides the quarterbacks? I don't know. I'd need to think it through. I mean, the quarterbacks, obviously. Kyler Murray's the one I'm looking forward to the most. I want to see what Joey Bosa does. I want to see if he holds out. I want to see how long he holds out. But uh, Kyler Murray, I just, I, I, I'm fascinated by what he could be. Tyler Furness, what song do you wish you could have sung for PFT's greatest hits? Man, they, here's the thing. When you're sitting in that seat and there's a break, anything you say can and will be used against you. Sergio D, what are your thoughts on the NBA changing the term owner to governor, given that NBA players seem to have more power than any other pro athlete? I find it hard to believe they would feel that they are owned. I understand that, but I, I, I look at this very simply. If there's any chance that someone views a term as insensitive, that it has a connotation in its context, given the fact that the owners are all white and the players predominantly are African-American, if you can come up with a different term, what just who cares? Come up with a different term. Does it really matter? How much of an owner's identity is tied to being called an owner in print or during a radio broadcast or whatever, the official title? I did this earlier today on PFT Live, went through the record and fact book, and some teams use owner. Most teams use owner. Some teams use other terms. For example, Robert Kraft, owner of the New England Patriots, his official title is, is, get to the page, one more flip is chairman and CEO. There are different ways to skin the cat and not use a term that possibly has, for some, a negative connotation. And what's the big deal? Who cares? It's not like changing the name of the quarterback. Right? And this gets back to that whole debate that we get into in our society. People go nuts about political correctness, run amok. Who cares? If there's another term you can use, who cares? I've been calling the Washington franchise anything but its name, which is a dictionary-defined slur, which does offend members of the African or not the Native American community. And we've had a guy come up to us when we were in San Francisco for the Super Bowl, and and he expressed to Stats and I how grateful he was and appreciative he was that we don't use that term, and he was emotional. That stays with you. How hard has it been? You know, it was kind of clunky early on. I'd sometimes let it slip and sometimes pause before I said Raiders because it was close enough to the other term. Now it's just second nature and it makes fans of that team upset, but I don't care. I don't care. You can't be offended by the fact that I choose not to use it. You can't be. All right, let's see what else we got here. Hmm, I need to wrap this up. It's already been an hour. I said I wasn't going to do an hour. I said I wasn't going to do an hour, and here we are. Dr. J144, how do they decide home and road for the two games on the schedule based on finishing division? Seems like Peyton was always going to New England for first place games like that. No, it rotates. It's a formula. Because you play every team in your division twice. You play every team from another division in your conference. You play every team from a division in the other conference. And then you play from the other two divisions in your same conference, the one team that finished in the same spot you did. And they've got a rotation to where home and away is. Gears of Ted, who's someone that you interviewed that surprised you in a positive way? I, I, I was surprised by Amari Cooper the other day because I had heard he, he wasn't a very talkative guy and I thought he was really talkative. I thought he was really good. Gong Show West, a sincere heartfelt wish for you and your family to have fun during your forced vacation, enjoy reading, sleeping more than five hours a day, going to the beach and otherwise doing nothing. What do you look forward to doing the most during your hiatus? Well, you know, I've mentioned this book project that that I just can't get myself into a rhythm to do. And I, I, I'm trying to, if I could just 
and I know this is going to be so much easier said than done, if I could just take a chunk of time every day and find a place where I can go and just do that for two to three hours a day. Like if I, if I you know, if I'm awake at 520, should I just do that? Should I just take the next four weeks and treat 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. as the three hours that I that I work on this stupid-ass book that no one's ever going to buy and no one's ever going to read? I don't know. It's easy to be very ambitious about what you're going to do with your break until you are standing in front of your break. And, you, and you're like, eh, I'm just going to enjoy my break. Gears of, but thank you for those thoughts, Gong Show West. Gears of Ted, why hasn't Miami done better over the years considering they have the most unique home field advantage in the league? Hot weather, beaches, sun, nightclubs, etc. Chris Sims is a believer that it's a trap when you go play in Miami. That you treat it like a vacation. All right, my dog's barking. I think she's got to go outside. Uh, let's see. Let's find one more here. You know, she said, I can hear her barking down there. It sounds like she's got to go to the bathroom. On that happy note, I'll be I'll be doing PFT PM throughout the hiatus. I, I may do one Monday afternoon. I think I will because I think I got an interview of James Conner coming up. So um, we'll have something Monday, maybe Tuesday. The following week at the beach, maybe I'll do some from my phone and send them in. We'll see. But I'm going to be active. I'm going to be present. I'm going to be posting at PFT. So it's really not a vacation per se. But uh, it's nice to not have to get up at 5.20 a.m. every morning for uh, four straight weeks. That's for damn sure. Have a great weekend. Check us out tomorrow for PFT Live. Hopefully, I'll live through the colonoscopy. And I will not be uh, answering questions. Maybe maybe while I'm in the bed waiting for the procedure, I'll, I'll answer some questions then. We'll see how the day goes. Everybody have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.